Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What exactly are miracles? Do they take place today? Are apparitions of the Virgin Mary a reflection of our need for the feminine instead of just the masculine in our experience of God? Well, hello there, and welcome to the 275th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And we are back after our Labor Day break and our trip to the Exeter UFO Festival in New Hampshire. But before we welcome tonight's guest, it's time for... Well, you know what time it is, the Paranormal Contest. So, our question from two weeks ago was peculiar to our local listening area, or particular to our local listening area. On what road in in the Blackstone Valley of Rhode Island has a faceless ghost been reported? Well, strangely enough, the answer uh, was Reservoir Road in Cumberland, Rhode Island, and peculiar or not, the first answer to, I should say the first person to answer the question correctly, was from Minnesota. Greg Pelletier of St. Cloud got it right. Uh, This week's question has two answers, and if you get both, uh, well, you have to get both to win. Uh, How many ghosts are said to be in Denmark's most haunted castle? Wait, what? How many ghosts are in Denmark's most haunted castle? Okay, uh, anyway, uh, get that right and win a copy of Marian Apparitions Are Real by tonight's guest. So call us locally at 401-76-1240 or nationally at 800-449-1240. And our friend Shane Eno from Denmark is not uh, eligible to answer the question. The head of the Paranormal Institute. Well, no, I, I just don't... You have to get two... There are two answers to the question. You have to get yeah, both what's to the, win. What's the castle and how many ghosts are there? Oh, oh okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, I didn't think it was that difficult. No, I didn't know you had to name the castle because it's how many ghosts are said to be in Denmark's most... Haunted castle. So I did. So you, oh, okay. So, well, I can see the point. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because um, you didn't say like what is the name of the castle and how many ghosts are there. The wording uh, could be deceiving. Yes. I so right, what well, is the name of the castle and how many ghosts are in it? Right. Okay. Now everyone's totally <laughs> confused. Uh, let's get to our guest before anything else happens. Kevin A. Cook is a longtime student of the paranormal, a former minister, and a convert to Roman Catholicism. He reports that upon conversion, he experienced some very moving paranormal events. This encouraged him to investigate Marian apparitions, a topic that has always interested him. The result is his book, Marian Apparitions Are Real. Kevin holds a BA from Upper Upper Iowa University and a master's in theology from a Protestant seminary. He is doing graduate work in theology at the Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, which maybe he finished since the last time he was on, I don't know. And his website is www.marianapparitionsareal.com. Okay, uh, Kevin Cook, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Well, it's good to be back. Always good to talk to you fellas. I, I follow even when I'm all in between times. I uh, follow your show all the time and uh, listen to downloads. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, we've got almost uh, over 300 podcasts now. We're... We're getting, getting, there in the, we're getting there. Oh, right. I know. So, Actually, I've uh, slipped off of the radio field myself the last couple of months. Yeah, I heard that. I wanted to talk to you about your own show as, as we go here, but uh, we're going to start out with some questions from Ben. Sure. Okay, so how would you define a miracle? Well, a miracle would be something which seems to be from unnatural causes. It would be beyond normal human rational expectations. 
uh, I think that would be considered. All right, something like Dr. Rhea White, the parapsychologist, might say exceptional human experience? I, I think that would cover it, yeah. All right. Well, that brings up, I'm stepping on Ben's questions here already, but that would bring up an interesting point. Uh, does it have to be religious to be a miracle? I'm a religious no, actually, connotations. I don't think it does. I, I really don't think it has to be. Of course, my interest is mostly in religiously oriented miracles, but uh, I've had what I would consider miracles myself that are certainly non-religious. Okay, uh, well, we'll give it to them in a minute. Ben's okay. next question is related to that. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, okay. So, miracles exist in many different religions. Uh, I can't hear you too well. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, so, miracles exist in many different religions, even pagan ones. So, do you think that there's a difference between these and miracles that happen to Christians? Well, you know, this, I guess, is a kind of a situation where the answer would be kind of subjective and kind of beyond my pay grade. Uh, uh, the Bible speaks of satanic forces being able to produce miracles, but I don't know necessarily that would be of a satanic derivation in, in uh, other religions. Uh, to be honest with you guys, I can't give an, uh, anything but a subjective answer. Uh, in my estimation, they're not all satanic. Uh, they don't have to be Catholic, shall we say. Uh, my ex-wife is a Baptist, had a, what you consider a miracle occur to her. And, uh, uh, you know, this you know, though, though she's fairly religious, uh, it was certainly a miracle and didn't have any Catholic content to it at all. So, in other words, it's a, it's a murky area. I can't really give a definitive answer. On that. Yeah, I hear you on that. Uh, I know someone who was claims to have been healed of cancer, yes. serious cancer, at the Temple of Isis at Abydos in Egypt. Right. Uh, at the Assyrian, it's called. I guess there's a place in there called the Assyrian. It's the only such. Set up that's known in Egypt as far as the Temple of Isis is concerned, but uh, Syrian referring to Osiris, but this water that comes up out of the ground there apparently, and uh, apparently it's actually at this point flooding the place. But this this guy bathed in this and he claimed he was healed of cancer. So I mean, maybe God is bigger than all this stuff. Uh, anyway, be, uh, it may be, and I like I say, this is really beyond my uh, purview as far as I could make comment. I do know that. Intellect itself has a very powerful force. I'm not saying there isn't divine, of course there is, but I'm just saying that the bank system does work. <laughs> yeah, I know it's true. Well, that leads into my next question because it, it seems that from my theological training, which was different than yours, there was a certain amount of participation yeah. that goes just as as in any. And I don't. I've never liked to lump experiences with with divine connotations with the paranormal quote unquote right. however i suppose in effect there are there are perhaps the same laws are involved i don't know but in any case uh, case uh, i've always found it fascinating that on certain occasions in the gospels notably in mark when jesus visited his hometown supposedly nazareth there's some evidence nazareth wasn't built until the 3rd century there's that's another problem anyway it says that Jesus was not able to do a miracle, or at least not anything serious, other than heal a few of the sick party. Now, because the party line on that is that he refused to force faith on those who didn't have any. So the official position of most of the churches is, isn't that he could not perform the miracles, but that he would not. What say you? Uh, here again, I think that that may be a... Uh, he might have been waiting for ostensibly to kick off his ministry. I don't know. Uh, it would be an area I really couldn't comment that well on that. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, there is a certain um, 
interesting aspect to that. There are several occasions where he says, your faith has made you whole or has made you well. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, that indicates to me there's a certain amount of participation here. God kind of takes you where you are, yeah. whether it be Jesus or whoever, whatever name you, you pin on the divine reality. Well, so, also, with, along with that, you could also look at the whole Christian concept of prayer and intercessory prayer and uh, communal prayer and the idea that, yes, participation, yes, is, is obviously a very important uh, component. Yeah. We've had Wiccans on the show and uh, they have been interested in my thought on this, that magic, as they use it and call it, is prayer taken to the next level. Do you, Does that ring any bells with you in a sense of uh, influencing the environment? Yeah, well, participating, I've read, you know? I've read uh, you know, little uh, excerpts from uh, pagans, witches, this and that. And very much, uh, you know, even Satanists, I've read stuff that Anthony LeVay wrote, and uh, the power of will is, is considered to be quite an item and so forth. And, uh, I mean, there's also certain miracles that occur without any participation. I know I had a yeah. very strange experience when I was about 12 years old, thereabouts, involved the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, that's popular around here. Well, what happened was... It's Red Sox uh, country. It's actually very simple, really. Uh, I, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, you know, Delaware area, both. And uh, essentially, it was uh, May, and we were fixing to get out for the uh, school year and uh, have our summer vacation because we got earlier in those days. And I told a companion, we were big baseball fans, and I said the Boston Red Sox are going to win the triple crown, are going to win the pennant, and Carl Yastrzemski is going to win the triple crown in '67. And, uh, you know, of course, he said, oh, that's ridiculous. That's not going to happen. And I said, well, I'll bet you 10 bucks. And I said it at that time, I said it just with great certain, certainty. I mean, I, if you talk to Dick Williams, the manager of the Red Sox, who finished ninth out of a 10-team league the previous year, he just said, oh, no, you're being optimistic, you know. Mm-hmm. Be happy to get 500 ball. But at any rate, all those, both those things happened. And when I saw him again in September, we came the next school year, he was dumbfounded and, you know, flipped me the $10, which at the time was quite a lot of money for a sport kid. But, I, I remember that series, yeah. But, I mean, that was that was what I would consider a miraculous kind of a thing, or certainly a cognitive miraculous thing. I've subsequently talked to people in Vegas and uh, Shreveport, other gambling places, and that are professionals. They said I could have owned I could have owned Vegas, uh, and yeah. if I could cut my father to bet uh, two or three dollars, I would have had billion to one odds. Okay, we're getting into the possibilities of psychic power here, but I have a yeah. comment on that later. Uh, Ben's got a next question. All right, so you started out as a Protestant and became a Roman Catholic. So is there any difference between the Protestant and Catholic idea of miracles? I don't really think so, except that, uh, well, in Catholicism, and I'll, I'm going to speak subjectively because, you know, we are what we are, right? And I've never seen such a bunch of smoke and fire with miracles or experienced them personally as I have connected with my uh, conversion to the Catholic Church. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I was a Methodist minister way back when, and all this, and uh, though a little hard bit for the ministry, I still, of course, uh, you know, sincere in it. And since, I mean, I've run across more stuff that's converted to Catholicism than I've personally experienced and researched and found out about that, I don't think there's uh, any comparison as far as the frequency. No. And that is the honest, that's the most honest answer I can make. Okay. 
Well, as you, as I'm sure you know from listening to our shows and from having been a guest before, our point of view tends to be rather non-Western. Oh, I'm. Yeah, and uh, so let me hit you with this. It seems to me that, at least from my studies, and I, I, I studied in both Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox uh, seminaries in the Christian realm. Uh, it seems to me that miracles have always had a lot to do with the presence of angels um, in ancient texts, and not just the Bible, but in th- you know other texts that can be interpreted as uh, angels. Uh, their presence usually is a sign that something miraculous is going to happen. Uh, the word miracle itself comes from the Latin miraculum, as you know, which means something wonderful, if you translate it literally. Before that, uh, it's uh, considered traceable, I think, to the Indo-European root smi, S-M-E-I, uh, meaning smile or laugh. So uh, apparently miracles are supposed to make us happy. Right. Okay? Now, in some theologies, I think this is expressed... Uh, Perfectly in that of, um, or most perfectly in that of the Eastern Orthodox Christians, uh, miracles are not considered special supernatural events. They're considered restorations of the world as it is supposed to be. And this gets into my, uh, I should say, our theories about the multiverse and all this business. I think people aren't too surprised that comes up. Uh, In a world restored to the divine image in which it was originally created, miracles are kind of the norm rather than the exception. And it's sickness and sorrow and evil that are out of the ordinary. That, to me, seems to be what it's really all about. Uh, what What do you think of that? I mean, does that have any validity in your book? Well, it, it could. Uh, it could. It's a different perspective, but it's okay. Uh, the norm in this world is misery and doom and gloom, it seems to be. Well, it depends what we make of it, I think. No, I think it, it exists here as a regular basis. Uh, I mean... Uh, the miracle and the happiness seem to be the little blips on the horizon. <laughs> and, uh, the, and I, I think, right. you know, well, maybe I'm just take a different view, which is just yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. But I'm saying there's no doubt. This is even in the Hail Mary. It's you know this valley of tears. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it'd be nice and lovely if we were all skipping down the road, but it's not that way. And uh, that's just my view. I mean, like I say, I'm I'm not uh, president of Notre Dame University or anything in that connection, but. Uh, I think the doubt that this is a grim world would be kind of crazy. Even Jesus said suspicion into this each day, and the troubles they're in, and so forth. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, obviously acknowledging the difficulty factor in this world. So miracles would definitely be highlighted here as opposed to the norm. Okay. Right, uh, Ben's got another question. All right, so let's get to your book, uh, Marian Apparitions Are Real. How did you make the jump from being a Protestant and people who usually are indifferent or hostile to the Virgin Mary to someone who is very devoted to her? Well, it was kind of a quirky turn of events. Uh, originally, originally, I was an Episcopalian, and I went to the Methodist Church to, you know, pursue that ministerial direction for a couple of years. But, uh, I, and I guess I, I give that as a preface, because the Episcopal Church is kind of Catholic light, and I mean, you did hear some background of these things, but not to any great extent. Uh, I guess I, it's come, I come by it naturally, because... <laughs> Even when Sue, my ex-wife, and I were living uh, near Delaware and a student Methodist uh, charge, we investigated bleeding statues up in Wilmington in an Episcopal church of all things. Hmm. And I guess so I come to be uh, innately curious of this phenomenon. And also, like you're probably yourselves, I mean, even though we have some differences of approach and this and that, I guess 
you all are also indigenously curious to the phenomenon. And sure. I guess just being an old cynical salesman, too, I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire, basically. And <laughs> something that uh, all these many people have seen by the millions as witnesses, I, I want to know what the basis of it was, because obviously there was something going on. To say they're all subject to mass hysteria is kind of not like Yeah, as the armchair approached it. And the person happened, wasn't there, you know. You know, exactly. I'm not one to believe in mass hysteria. I mean, if we had uh, 50,000 people outside your studio that saw the sun jump up and down, turn around and pick a bale of cotton, then we saw something. I don't, I don't think it was all yeah. one person. Anything can happen in one socket. Uh, perhaps so. Perhaps so. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is, I don't see that. I've never been a big believer in mass hysteria. You know, like these yo-yos are saying, the Phoenix Lights, were, some of them are saying it was mass hysteria. Yeah, well, we, we haven't either. Well, yeah, but I mean, there's a certain bunch of people that I don't care what they saw. They they, they don't want to. They have blinders on, and they don't want to have their perception of reality altered by the addition of some bizarre circumstances. Don't bother me with facts. Exactly. Yeah. But what happened was some really nice things when I was drawn into Catholicism, and I can only tell you it's, it was kind of very personal, very subjective. But uh, tell us what happened is for about the oh. It was about circa 2004. I was, uh, it was like I saw the Virgin Mary everywhere I went. It was like this, the whole subject, the subject matter of the Virgin Mary and Marian apparitions was popping up every five minutes. And, uh, I mean, I could, I mean, I know that sounds silly. How did it happen? Well, I would just run across allusions to it and things, literature and all this. And it was almost to the point where somebody was like slapping me on the head, like, look into this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, she does that. Well, I finally said, okay, okay, I'm in. So what I did, and I'll be candid and honest about this, was not just a one straight road to writing the book, is uh, I, I joined uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. It's a 26,000-member Catholic church here in Keller, Texas, suburb of Fort Worth. And I started to go to the uh, RCIA program, which is a year-long program to break you into uh, the Catholicism, see if it meets your needs your belief system and all that. Okay. Well, now I had a, a stopping point after halfway through, and I'll be honest, as, as Rain, uh, it was some of the child abuse issues were started to disgust me, and I said, "Look, I don't know about this, you know." And and but these same uh, feelings and allusions to Mary pop back. So the second year, I finally followed through with it. In other words, I, other things were getting in the way, but I said, "Well, you know, it's Aaron." things going on here. It doesn't, you know, throw the baby out with a bathwater. And, uh, and, uh, got allergies here, I'm sorry. No, and I'm sorry. What, uh, what happened was, uh, you know, I, I started going to the RCA program and, uh, was relatively happy with Catholic theology for the most part. And <laughs> I went to, you know, the, you have to go through the whole year-long program to, uh, join the church. And I, uh, first time I went to Mass, I was used to the East Coast, you know, out, like out where you are, and all the churches were fairly Gothic-looking, and, uh, you know, you could tell where the holy water fountains were. You know, <laughs> and the ones here in town, it was such a modern place, it looks like a movie theater lobby. And when I first went there, I didn't see where the holy water fountains or what I identified as the holy water fountains were, so I sat down on a bench waiting for the service to start. And then I saw the veteran Catholics come in and cross themselves with holy water, you know, because I knew for movies that was the practice, you know. And uh, then I went through the service and came out, and uh, I was trying to beat the crowd to the parking lot because there was a, you know, 
two, three thousand people, twenty five hundred anyway in that service. That uh, the parking lot would get crowded, so you know, have a type A personality anyway. So I crossed myself with the holy water, and it was like a powerful, tremendous chill went through my whole torso. And I, I noted this, and it, and it wasn't with any great anticipation. I applied the holy water. It's not like now I'm applying the holy water with any great import. It was done mechanistically. And yet I still felt that, but I you know, noted it going out the door like, wow, what was that? And it happened the first two times I went to service there. And I mentioned it to the uh, deacon who was in charge of the RCIA program, and he said, Kevin, you're not the only one that's experienced that here. Hmm. And, uh, anyway, and subsequent to that, I found also... From talking to other members of this class, there was perhaps, you know, it's a big old church. I mean, where they had an entry class, it's probably 100, 120 people. And several other of the other members, my fellow members of this RCA class, had somewhat similar, unique, little unusual experiences occur to them. And that was, I guess, kind of an entree into Catholicism. And, uh, of course, what happened in 2008 was the real boost to it. I, I was, I've was i always been in love with upstate New York. And I went up there for a property buying. Yeah, went to school there myself, yeah. Well, I mean, I'd be there today if I could work it. Yeah. And, and I'm working on it. <laughs> okay. But anyway, uh, I was I flew into uh, Albany, and I spent a couple of days looking at property. I was going to spend Wednesday being a tourist in the Mohawk Valley. And I came across, uh, the first ten minutes, I came across Our Lady of Martyr's Shrine in Orysville, New York. And... Uh, well, full Bill Ari's bill Yeah, been there. And uh, anyway, I was there about an hour and a half, and for the first 45 minutes, I, I smelled an overpowering, just cloying smell of roses. And, uh, I, you know, I was, well, I've got bad allergies there. I'm sniffling on the phone with you now. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, I knew, well, yeah, I should. It's 105 degrees here today, Dustin. Oh, good Lord. It's been that way for the 69th straight day of 100 degrees. You've got to be kidding no, this is the hottest, the hottest uh, summer ever on record in Texas. As of I've far. heard that, I don't know it was that bad. Wow! But, uh, there's a place out near town, Midland, Odessa, fairly large population center, hasn't had rain in so long, and their lakes are just about dry. So <laughs> that's almost paranormal itself. But, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I, I, with all these allergies, it's, uh, allergies, I was up there and I smelled this powerful smell of roses. And if, if they were right here in the room with me on the desk, I couldn't. Smell them that strongly. I've never smelled anything any time in my life that strong, even in greenhouses. And I am in the wholesale plant business, so I mean, I'm, so I have some familiar with it, familiarity with it. Anyhow, after about 45 minutes of smelling this stuff, I went into the museum up there and spoke with the curator. And I said, Lady, well, what's so fragrant up here? I mean, uh, you know, pines, maples, I don't see anything fragrant. And the only flowers were 20 acres away. I mean, nothing that anybody could normally smell. And she looked at me surprised. You smelled it too? And I said, yeah, I guess. And she showed me on a map where the strongest sensation would probably have been. And it was where the first rosary was said in 1642 in that neck of the woods there. Uh-huh. And uh, she said that in her 12 years of uh, working the museum, every six months or a year, somebody comes in and, yes, does smell it. Well, you know, that's a common occurrence, uh, yep. is the, the, uh, the divine aroma or, or, uh, I, I can't for life remember the actual term, but. Odor of sanctity. Uh, odor of sanctity, yeah. Yep. Uh, associated with, uh, very often, even the bodies of saints, uh, yep. icons, statues, sometimes, uh, places such as you referred to. Very, very common occurrence in the, the world of miracles, I suppose. 
Uh, I guess, well, you certainly answered Ben's uh, next question already. He was going to answer Yeah, Ben's I was going to say, what paranormal experiences did you have after your conversion? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anticipated that. And we're going to take a commercial break here, folks, right now, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on, on um, WON 1240 AM and com in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley, where, unfortunately, there are allergenic plants. But in any case, we'll be right back, and we'll continue to talk with our guests. I'm going to get off script a little bit to ask a couple of questions that I didn't think I was going to ask. Uh, Kevin Cook, and we'll be right back. It's coming again. The 7th Annual Sunsplash Christian Music and Arts Festival. Live music all day long. Free food, terrific activities for the kids, a free raffle, a bouncer, cotton candy, popcorn, and on and on it goes. Last year, hundreds of your neighbors made it out to Sunsplash. And this year promises to be better than ever. Live bands will set the beat for a day of celebration, fun, and meeting new friends. You'll not want to miss Sunsplash 2011. The 7th Annual Sunsplash. Sunsplash Christian Music and Arts Festival coming Saturday, September 24th, 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. at River Island Park off Vernon Street in Woonsocket. Sunsplash is brought to you by Harvest Community Church and is co-sponsored by the Woonsocket Prevention Coalition. Call 766-1777 for more information. Now, we're going to have a ball, but it won't be the same without you. So mark your calendar for Saturday, September 24th, just days away, and we'll see you at Sunsplash. Rain date October 1st. You can depend on us for public service. Owen Radio. And we wanted to remind you, as we always do each week, of the wonderful handheld little e-reader known uh, that you can get from Amazon Kindle. And Amazon.com, of course, the tremendous online bookseller and the seller of um, a lot of other amazing items, too, has the Kindle, which uh, can be purchased for as low as $114. And instead of going and spending lots of gas and money to buy print books, you can get your books literally downloaded to you on your uh, Amazon Kindle, Kindle reading device. So you can get, of course, four of my books uh, that are on uh, on that uh, particular device. And I would I'm always dragging the guest into the commercial here, but uh, Kevin, uh, are your your books are available? Your book is available on Amazon Kindle, is it? No, actually, it's uh, on Barnes Noble uh, Nook. Uh, okay, well. Uh, uh, <laughs> You can't say that on Kindle's airtime, but oh, I'm anyway, sorry. <laughs> actually, so are mine. But anyway, yes, but Amazon is my publisher, though. Oh, there you go. Very good. Okay, so anyway, Amazon.com. Check it out. And Amazon Kindle is the device, and it's well worth it. It still is some summer left and winter, and those uh, either those warm uh, weekends left on the beach here uh, or anywhere else, and uh, the cold, long winter evenings. Uh, either way, the Kindle is a great device to use. Uh, the e-reader, and uh, again, check it out. So Amazon, Kindle, Amazon.com, or Staples has the Kindle for you. Anyway, let's get back to our guest, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on, uh, I was ready to say, our Sunday night show. Anyway, WON 1240 AM. It's Yeah, thank you, Ben. And we're talking with Kevin Cook, author of Marian Apparitions Are Real, and a religious... Curious religious kind of guy after my own heart, certainly. So, uh, Kevin, I'm with uh, Ben's uh, forbearance here. I wanted to ask two questions that we had not put in our script today, but I think that would be very interesting. One is that last night on our CBS show, we did a, of course, a commemorative of the 9 11 uh, tragedy attacks, certainly. And we were, the theme of the show was why does God permit this stuff to happen? And it attracted a lot of interest. We got a lot of emails. A lot of people expressed their thoughts on that. 
Um, I I don't know. You might listen to it in the podcast form when it's available, but maybe unless you heard it live, then you won't know our answer to the question. What is your answer to the question? Why does God allow stuff like that, especially terrible uh, disasters such as 9-11? Well, there's always been disasters, and a lot of them much worse than 9-11. Yeah. However, uh... Yeah, we use the example of World War II as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, Stalin was responsible for killing 60, 70 million people himself. Yeah. But actually, the best apologetic answer I can give, I, like most Christians, have that notion, is what's up with this. But the best answer I can give, and it seems to be the closest to uh, what can be gleaned from Scripture, is that in giving us eternal life, God views this as maybe a temporary blip or a bad dream. And uh, that though they seem catastrophic experiences to us and, and the view of the background of having eternal life, it's not as bad as it might seem. Now, that's the best answer I can give. I, You know, you can come up with other aspects of things, like it's the devil or this and that, but I ain't buying that because God's overall in charge, and uh, I would have to think he framed the circumstances of the world. To be honest with you, that sounds like kind of a, a limp-wristed answer, but that's really the only one I can honestly give. No, I, I, I hear you. I, actually, the uh, at least as I learned it in, in my seminary, the, the party line answer is something like um, free will, freedom. Yeah, if I know. You, you know, you, you, you've heard this before. You know, if I know. You were, uh, I, yes, I know. If there was, I don't was really no choice but good, you'd be a robot, that sort of thing. Yeah, but I don't really buy that either. Yeah, well, oh, n- neither do I. Yeah. Um, our answer, of course, as you might not be too surprised to hear it essentially has to do with, with the multiverse and the unity, yeah. all, all possibilities, this sort of thing, that, that we that, 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 well, before I even say that there is another thing that we have suggested not we have suggested, but have pointed out that others have suggested, is that maybe God is not all powerful in the sense that we have thought of him as being and that he is learning from his creation, uh, he is um, all good maybe but is learning from his creation, and that uh, that and the idea, and this I do believe, that we are not the center of the universe. No. My personal belief is that God is all-powerful, is all-good, uh, and, th- and that he has created a perfect creation. It is not imperfect. From our, as you might say, limp-wristed point of view... It's it's imperfect because it doesn't suit us and it isn't right. doesn't revolve around us. These are all things. I mean, who knows? But well, we uh, could say, for example, that you know, just in a prosaic little non you know exceptional military career like mine, that you know, basic training was unpleasant. But yeah, yeah, tell me about it. But I mean, it wasn't didn't last that long. No. And, and in terms of us really being immortal beings, you know, a few divorces or this and that, don't be too subjective about it. But but that it wouldn't be really that bad. Well, that's the thing. And, and I point out again from our perspective, I mean, we together, it's not individually make our own. I think we together kind of make the world what it, it should be or shouldn't be. Yeah. And that we look at all the things that don't happen that could. Well, exactly, exactly. And I think there is, to an extent, seems to be some validity to the basic underlying Christian principle that you have to ask to receive, to an extent, like we were talking about the, the interactive business. And if you do invite God into your life and, you know, make straight away your paths, this, that, there is a degree of benevolence that follows you. I know I've had some. 
Well, Christopher Hitchens might not agree, because one of the ironies of the 9-11 attacks was that they were supposedly carried out in God's name. And, of course, people said, aha, if you do away with religion, then all of a sudden you won't have any more problems. I mean, how naive do you have to be to believe that? And if oh, it weren't for religion, way, people would find something else to fight about. By the way, I can just throw this in. There's a lady named Susan Lindauer I had on my show Friday that's an exceptional whistleblower that we should look into uh, again. Well, I want the 911 issue. Yeah. But anyway, I don't mean to change the subject. But um, so I mean, you know, as you know, I could say like an, an overall answer to the question. I mean, I could give the answer that best seems sensible to me, and that's really all I can do. I can't really speak for the Catholic Church and what have you, but uh, I can say that there does seem to be an interactive aspect to God answering prayer and protecting you. And, and yeah, maybe if you don't so. care about God, He doesn't care about you that much. It could very well be. I don't know. Ben, did you want to jump in on this? Uh, because you, you had me, a lot of me, things to say last night we were talking about. Give me, give me something. Give, give me, give me a few minutes. Think of something, and I'll come. Okay, back. Okay, we'll just jump right in. All right. Well, uh, the other thing here, uh, Kevin, is um, a question that does not often come up, yeah. but I think people would like to ask it if they could think of it, so to speak. The feminine aspect of God uh, in the Eastern Church, there is, albeit a very careful and still male dominated and all this stuff, but there's a, there's a very um, it, there is an acknowledgement of the, the the almost feminine aspect of the Holy Spirit. Uh, chokma, the Hebrew word for wisdom. Uh, Sophia, the Greek word. They're all feminine yeah. words. There is a certain nod to the divine in the feminine in, in the divine triad, and, and that that is only true of early Christianity and Judaism because way back to the, you know, 60,000 years or so to the Bushmen and, you know, the right. people we talk about, I talk about in my book, Turning Home. What, what's your thought on that? Um, my thought probably is going to be something you wouldn't agree with, but it's not like I have, you know, that powerfully constructed thoughts on it. Yeah. But in essence, I think that, I really think that the God issue and the divine issue is not feminine or masculine. I think that's mankind trying to thrust their own concepts on something that they don't understand. Well, you could say the same... Okay, I'm sorry, you didn't finish. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, in my opinion, I don't really see a masculine feminine issue. I think it's the godly input is above that. I mean, I think that perhaps mankind is trying to uh, interpret it in ways that they're familiar with them, but I don't really think there's any... Yeah, well, I, I see what you're saying. I, I myself have very little patience with what is known in theology as anthropomorphism, you know, imposing yeah. human characteristics on God or the gods or whoever. All right. Uh, however, when you do look back at, at, at our remotest ancestors, as, as, as I say, uh, I went out of my way to research and even to talk to uh, Aboriginal elders and people whose cultures go way back to Pluto, you know, wherever. And they, these are people who said that um, people started out, and this is this was found by scholars in the 1930s, two people started out as monotheists, as worshippers of one god. And they later became polytheists, worshippers of, of many gods. And I, uh, I've had theories about why that happened, which probably uh, we don't have time to discuss. But the point is that it was always this notion of the triad, of a father, a mother, or a Holy Spirit, if it, whatever name you want to use, and a child, which was usually us, or in the case of the Christians, Jesus, who the whole point, his whole point is that he took on flesh, became man, and that's important in Christian theology. And he did it physically. That's important in Christian theology. Yeah, 
So, so th- th- that's the reason I asked the question. Um, is you know, th- since the concept is human, and in a way that I think kind of goes beyond anthropomorphism a little, uh, we've got a notion of two men, and you know, where's mom, so to speak, and, yeah, uh, no, and the notion of, of the Virgin Mary. That hot. definitely is a maternal symbol. I know. Yeah, you uh, can't I, get I really, around it. I don't think. I, I really don't know. I mean, that, that's just my opinion. I, I view her as, as a messenger, just like an angel might be. In my opinion, okay. I feel she has a little more of an intercessory circumstance, but I think that's because people are more familiar with that maternal role and feel comfortable with it, as opposed to any other reason. Okay. So, All right. My opinion. All right. Then uh, any um, further comments? I had some, but I, I don't know how to word it, so. <laughs> That would be unusual for you. Well, no, not really. That's not unusual at all. Because I have lots of things to say. I just don't know how to say them. Okay. All right. Well, I respect that. Well, I'll just keep yakking, and you just jump in. Right. All right. I'll get back here to what we were, other things. We wanted to talk about some major Marian apparitions with Kevin here and point out what characteristics they might have in common. Uh, Kevin, you're you're the expert, so okay. whatever examples you want to use. Well, actually, I was uh, I'm not trying to be hard I, I thought we were going to basically uh, the thrust of this particular show, although it would border on Marian apparitions, more miracles connected with Catholic saints like Padre Pio. And, sure, okay. Well, oh, it's it's your he, interview. Let's go. Is he a saint now? Yeah, he was canonized. Oh, I didn't know that. I oh, heard about right. him growing up, uh, Padre Pio. The, well, why don't you tell us about Padre Pio? Well, he died in 1968, but his career was being in relatively modern times was very well chronicled, much more so than, you know, uh, to me it, it had more meaning because he, you know, he, there's a whole retinue of people that followed him around. He, he you know, was born around the turn of the century, <coughs> pardon me, and was uh, always very devout, and a lot of miracles uh, occurred that he, his, the first reported miracle, uh, chron- uh, chronicle miracle to him occurred in 1908, for example, but he he, he developed a, cra- a following greater and greater and greater so that towards the end of his life there were hundreds of people that would line up to uh, get confession from him. And uh, so that's why, I guess, his particular example, I just take it to heart more so because it was more identified and more scrutinized than something in, in yesterday's year even. Now, now, he lived in northern Italy, am I wrong? Yes. Okay. And, for example, in 1908, excuse me, uh, he was gathering chestnuts for his aunt in that area. And petrol, Petrolcina, well, I guess I'm mousing that around. Pietrelcina, P-I-E-T-R-E-L-C-I-N-A. Uh, my Italian is not very good. That's right. And in any case, he was uh, gathering these chestnuts, a little burlap sack for his aunt, and he brought them to her and what have you. And a few days later, she was in a little household accident where her face was burned. And what happened was she daubed her face down with this cloth from uh, Padre Pio's collecting these chestnuts, and there were no burns, no blisters, nothing. Miraculous pain went away, all that connected with, you know, using this particular uh, little remnant of, of something he did for and had contact with. And there's many others. Uh in the world, Second World War, uh, it was kind of like <laughs> reminiscent of Jesus and the loaves and the fishes. Uh, 
Yeah, of course, he was in Italy during the Second World War and so forth, and uh, he uh, was giving out bread at a, different, at a church. The friars were giving out bread. They wound up getting like double or triple the number of loaves out that were actually delivered by the the sources. And I mean, this you know, here again, each individual miracle, alleged miracle, I can't you know stake my life on. But I guess like similar to other things we study in the field, you know, like all the shows you have, you can't you know hang your hat on each individual ghost sighting. Yeah. But in Coleman and in, in their totality, you can. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was, oh, um, it's just unbelievable amounts. Of, and there was a similar related uh, miracle with hosts where, you know, they start out with just a handful of hosts and Padre Pio runs around giving communion to hundreds of people. And, I remember uh, that, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, these are, like I say, in, in their totality over all the studies of this man for, what, 50 years or something, uh, there is some validity to this. There mm-hmm. really, there really is. Okay. Uh, for example, uh, another woman uh, during the Second World War saw this uh, PO because, like I say, once again, he had hundreds and hundreds of visitors that would visit him at the at his monastery there. And her son was an officer in the uh, British Navy, and she had heard that uh, the sun- the ship was sunk, and she was afraid her son had died. She hadn't heard anything. And what happened was, you know, I guess she was coming to Padre Pio for solace, and he told her exactly where the son was, that he'd actually been rescued from the British ship, that he was staying in a hotel at some given place, and that uh, he would get up with her the next couple days. And this is before, obviously, any of the people uh, that were, you know, uh, survivors of the people on the ship would have been notified of any comings or goings. Obviously, she was distraught. He just had uncommon knowledge of, of things. He, people would visit him, and they would, say, speak in a language like uh, Romanian that he had no knowledge of. And he could uh, do what's called transverbation, where he could make himself known to them and them to him and in clear-cut terms. And how he did this, I don't know whether it's some form of telepathy, can't say. But all these various things uh, were associated with P.O. I mean, there's whole books and books and books with numerous, uh, well, <laughs> miraculous accounts. Yeah. I understand he could bilocate as well. Yes, bilocation. And this was something that was very well authenticated. Uh, he could bilocate. Uh, this, there was one uh, oh, relatively high-skilled diplomat that had seen him in another country when it was well known that he was in place physically and his body in uh in Italy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he would even be, uh, sometimes when people would bring these issues up to him, he'd even become cutesy about it. Like, yeah, well, the heck of a stare you had, or something like that. <laughs> and <coughs> he was quizzed on it, and he said, it's a miracle to me, too. Well, th- this, now, of course, we're getting into, you know, textbook paranormal phenomena. Right. And you wonder, what what is, the, you know, does, it, well, well, in a manner of speaking, does God bless the work of the psychic who tells the police where the missing guy is uh, as he apparently did with Padre Pio telling the woman where her son was and uh, do you, where do you draw the line or do you draw the line between what I is I don't know that you really divine? can this is such a mishmashy kind yeah. of thing no I hear you I hear uh, you I mean like okay for example back to the odor of sanctity one of the things that led me into the study of Marian apparitions 
was the, the prevalence of the odor of sanctity connected with Marian apparitions. It was kind of like a pre-existing interest was accentuated with the experience of New York. And, you know, one thing led to another, as <laughs> things seem to in life. And uh, Marian apparitions are replete with the odor of sanctity. And also, of course, that slopped over into the lives of the saints because another thing connected with Padre Pio was, yes, the odor of sanctity. That's right, yeah. He uh, didn't wear cologne. We know he led a monastic life. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't run around wearing cologne, and yet this, this odor would follow him around like it did Catherine Labour, uh, who was a Marian, big Marian seer in the Rue de Bach, uh, yeah. circumstance 1830, connected with the miraculous metal. People that don't know yeah. that. Mm -hmm. But in any case, this odor of sanctity followed the, the personages of these saints around all the time. And mm -hmm. I, that's, I guess, what led into one big montage of uh, research I've done in this. And it just it tickles me all over the place. Okay. One thing that I find fascinating is that people's cultures often seem to influence the experiences they have when it comes to miracles. For example, uh, in the Eastern Church, you would have bleeding icons rather than bleeding statues, as usually you know, they don't use statues. Although you have similar experiences with the order of sanctity and healings, this kind of thing. But also, uh, in... in Pagan religions and, and the things that have nothing to do with the Christianity, or, I mean, there at times seem to be miraculous occurrences, and it's almost as if God is bigger than the religious labels. I mean, do you do you find well, that? It's possible, but I'm not ready to buy into that being <laughs> so firmly Roman Catholic. But that's okay. I mean, I, in other words, there's things that are that, I, in all honesty, I have to just forget whether I'm Roman Catholic or not. Just as a sensible person, you have to acknowledge that, yes, there are, say, ESP examples that have nothing to do with Catholicism or Christianity or Buddhism or anything else. Like my example with the Boston Red Sox and Carl Yastrzemski, there was no Christian connotation to uh, the Red Sox, at least none I know of. Okay, yeah. And, uh, uh, we, we think that what's happened with them and so forth is pretty miraculous around here. Ben, like Ben's that. got a question, but I wanted to remind you, but I always forget to give the phone numbers. We do take calls on this show. Uh, 401-766-1240 locally, because I know a lot of people are interested in this subject, and nationally, 800-449-1240 to talk to us, or, uh, excuse me, <coughs> Kevin, Kevin Cook, our uh, marvelous guest this evening. Ben had a question. So this brings up the question, this whole little discussion we've been having, yep. is... God, religion. I think religion expresses various aspects of God. I think it's bigger than religion per se. But uh, I think that, that, you know, here again, I am not, I'm not, I'm only speaking from a subjective vantage. I could, what I do believe, very, okay, on similar ground to you, yourselves, there's not a doubt in my mind that there is a multiverse, that there's overlap, that things are a whole lot, even in the book I, I mentioned in the forward to it, that there's, it's a lot more mysterious world than we think it is than just the, you know, width, length, and height of things, certainly. And as far as there's aliens, obviously there's aliens. There's six sextillion planets or, and, or bodies out there that they've identified, even with our limited knowledge now. Fifty more planets were discovered last week. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, it, it goes up astronomically. I imagine in 30 years it would be... 26 billion, Astronomically, you're going to like that, Ben. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. it would be, to me, when, I, when people pose this question, I say, well, you know, just logic would say there are other creatures there. And no, I don't think they're all demonic. I mean, there's, you know, I get that a lot, you know. Well, there are plenty of negative guys out there. I'm sure there are. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, it's, it's, when Jesus said, you know, 
in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. I think he's alluding to a lot more complexity out there than you know you, we realize, and that if he is going to prepare a place for us, that's all well and good. But there's other pre-existing uh, circumstances out there, dimensions, whatever you want to call it, and uh, so I don't see that that's incompatible with essential Christianity. Well, there is a deeper level. Ben's got a question about that, too. Okay, so um, in your book, you talk about uh, the pivotal timing of apparitions. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, not all apparitions are pivotal, have pivotal timing, and there's probably been, it's been estimated, and this is just an estimate, that uh, in the back of the book is an appendix with uh, perhaps 150, 200 different apparitions that uh, events that have occurred just since 1900 to uh, uh, the current day, roughly a little over 110 years. And by the way, I got that from the uh, uh, University of Dayton International Marian Research Institute. And the book, that, by the way, has been put on their reading list, which I think is kind of a little... It's a good ac- book. Academic accolade. Yeah. But what I'm saying, though, is that if we extrapolated that backwards, there's been 2,500, 3,000 apparitions, and some of them have been for private revelation and what have you. But of the major public ones, there was a pivotal timing, uh, very important timing, like... The one at Guadalupe in 1531, where uh, Juan Diego the Indian had a visit, a visit by the Virgin Mary, and that's where the, the uh, actually scientific artifact is available, the uh, tilma, T-I-L-M-A. It's a cactus husk garment that the Indian was wearing. is on uh, display right now at the Basilica of Guadalupe in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And it's been in constant church custody for 500 years. And uh, it's been subject to tests a lot more than the Shroud of Turin. And by Sandia Labs engineers, who I have not first-hand, but second-hand contact with, which is pretty good, considering. And uh, there's no evidence of tracing, no evidence of pigment in this garment. And really, if you and I threw some cactus husks in our closet and came back 20 years, I have a fair, fairly good uh, suspicion that they'd be dust. <laughs> yeah. And this, has been, this particular garment is in pristine condition. It's been subject to heat, cold, smoke, uh, arsonist attempt, uh, bombing attempt in 1920, etc., and it's still in pristine condition, and it's only been under glass for the last 150 years. Wow. And before we burn up any more time, I wanted to give Kevin a chance to talk about uh, his book and his new radio show as well. Why, thanks. It's uh, Marian Apparitions Are Real, and the the, uh, website is uh, www.marianapparitionsareal.com. And the radio show uh, is LiveParanormal.com. It's at 11 p.m. Eastern on Fridays, which shouldn't conflict with listening behind the paranormal. <laughs> right. And uh, it's LiveParanormal.com. It's a show called Paranormal Mysteries. And I'm also going to be doing a, a series of shows uh, on a regular show basis with Inception Radio, uh, Jamie Havocan's show out of Florida, which will be on terrestrial radio and the Internet. Very good. And may I say you have a marvelous radio voice. Well, I appreciate that. And one thing that's actually kicked off to actually make some money out of this, yeah. and anybody that needs to have a, a com- commercial, I've done a lot of uh, voiceover commercials as a result of the radio shows I've done it on. And uh, I, if, you, if you need me, I'll be there. <laughs> I'll talk to Amazon. Uh, I, I don't know how they put up with me as, as a commercial deliverer. But uh, anyway, we, we have, I think, maybe time for an email. Or did you have another question here, Ben? Um, no. Okay. We're good. Time for maybe one email. And this came in relevant to last night's show, but I think it's relevant to this one as well because it's a, it's a pet peeve with me. And this is from Martin in Orlando, Florida. Okay. Um, so Martin writes... 
what is your opinion of authors like uh, Christopher Hitt- Hitchens uh, who advocate doing away with religion? Oh, I think they'll do away with Christopher Hitchens. Really. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, you. I mean, I'm. I'm a. You know, I, I have to be what I am. I'm not going to pretend to be what I'm not. And I, you know, I'm fairly much of a Christian. And I feel that uh, God's revealed Himself through the Christian message as such, and that. Uh, Frankly, if he doesn't want God, God probably don't really want him either. So, I mean, I don't really care about Christian religion. Well, it's funny, as I mentioned last night, um, our publicist was yeah. trying to set up a debate between Christopher Hitchens and, and yours truly, but it never came about. I don't know just what, it, what it was, or maybe I'm not important enough. I'd probably That's probably the answer. But the question is that, you know, you got these people who equate God with everything that his followers or yeah. people who claim to be his followers do. And as I said earlier, I think, you know, you do away with religion, people are going to find something else to fight about. You know, it's a silly... Well, it does. And I must emphasize, in all these little experiences I've had, I'm not an easygoing fellow as far as easily manipulated or influenced, like prone to imagination, if you will. Mm -hmm. When I was going to college originally, and I I could say this without mentioning the names, (laughs) one of my roommates uh, was connected with the Mafia. Oh, dear. And they wanted me to be... You know, they, they, they liked me, and they wanted me to be a collector for the company's construction industry and whatever. And I'm just a saying, I only, give, I only give that as an illustration. Of course, I'm not going to be, you know, terrorizing innocent people or anything. Right. But what I'm saying is, I'm not a, people that really know me know that I'm not a lightweight kind of guy. I mean, they wouldn't have considered me to be a leg breaker. And I just give this just as an illustration that don't uh, associate Christianity with a bunch of scandal and uh, uh, egoism and, and things like that. God's a lot bigger than all that. And like I say, what I experience, all I'm really trying to say in a roundabout way is what I experienced is dead, bang, real, very positive, very worthwhile. Yeah, okay. Well, well, we like to think so, too. Well, Kevin Cook, thank you very much for being with us again. It's always a pleasure, and the discussion always is interesting. And again, Marian Apparitions Are Real. Check it out at MarianApparitionsAreReal.com. Kevin, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thank you. Enjoy it a bit. Thank you. All right, Paul. Okay. Bye. Very good. 100 and what? Five degrees in Texas? Good Lord. All right. Good luck to the folks down there, and especially our friend Kevin. And we want to just point out, you can find out all about our guests and uh, upcoming shows, past shows, 300 and something podcasts, BehindTheParanormal.com, our show website. And you can also check us out at NewEnglandGhosts.com. That's our, our main website for cases and things of that kind. Check it out. And we want to thank our producer, the sainted Steve Bianchi. And we'll see you next Sunday. I should say next Monday. We'll say next Sunday, too, but next Monday, September 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, right here on WON 1240 AM and com. Uh, I have a long-standing commitment that day, so Ben will be on his own with our guest, Todd Banks. So you commi- get to hear the soothing tones of my voice for a full hour. Well, yeah, well, I think you're going to do great. I think it's going to be very interesting. Uh, but the guest will be Todd Banks, a Connecticut business owner who is, in our opinion, an excellent example of a guy who truly lives in multiverse awareness. It's going to be very interesting. Right. Uh, in the meantime, tune into our Sunday evening CBS radio edition in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, and online at www.newskyradio.com. On Sunday, September 18th, we uh, welcome back animal communicator Karen Anderson. And remember, you can always get free podcasts of all our shows, over 300 of them, along with show schedules and guest information at www.behindtheparanormal.com. 
And in the meantime, we leave you with a thought from noted pediatrician and author, Dr. T. Barry Brazelton, founder of the Brazelton Institute. Quote, A grandchild is a miracle, but a renewed relationship with your own children is an even greater one. Unquote. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.